0: You're listening to the Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. Follow along on social media at Collected Workshops and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and to learn more.
1: Welcome to Season 2, Episode 15 of the Collected Podcast. I'm Jess Biondo. I'm Michaela Hooper. And I'm Tia McNelly. We are so excited to share our interview with Rochelle Parham. Um, she is a woman filled with wisdom. Uh, she has written a book. She has a blog. She has served on the board of directors of Renovare, which is a ministry um, for spiritual formation. It actually started with Richard Foster and Dallas Willard. Which is just incredible, huh?
2: Yeah. 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 This ladys I mean, you can hear it in her voice, guys. You are going to adore her wisdom. And um, she has so much peace on her. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the way she breaks down this beast of comparison... (laughs) is so needed mm-hmm. right now. So guys, hang on and enjoy our interview with Rochelle Parham.
1: Hi Rochelle, welcome to the Collected Podcast.
3: Oh, hi. I'm so glad to be here with y'all. Thank you. We're <laughs> so
1: glad to be here with you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, hey Rochelle, would you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about you, about your family? About your journey, um, yeah, just give us a little uh, start to
3: knowing who you are. Oh, thank you. I would love to. I am a well. First of all, I'm a child of God, and I'm, I I mm-hmm. can I can say that with real confidence. Now, um, years ago, I would have had trouble um, voicing that, but mm. now I know that that is the core of my identity. Yeah. In addition to being a child of God, I am a wife. My husband and I are coming up on, get this, our 35th wow. wedding anniversary.
2: Congratulations. Wow. Congratulations. That's Thank not you. a Can small thing. Can you believe thing.
3: that? I mean, so wow. like, longer than at least one of you has been alive. Yes. <laughs> <There. Yeah. laughs> yep, that's me. Um, so goodness. that's exciting. And we have three young adult sons. I have... Um, a 28 year old son who just got married last summer, oh. a 26 year old son, and a 22 year old who just graduated from college, which means we have finished making tuition payments. Hooray! Wow, well, how about that? <laughs> that is so <laughs> amazing. That's incredible. We live in Durham, North Carolina, where I am um, a leader in our local church. Um, I have the privilege of being the coordinator of our worship services. So I get oh, cool. to um yeah, I get to help plan worship. Every week I get to uh, meet with our pastoral staff and our minister of music and get to do everything from selecting the Psalms to um uh, consulting on the sermons. Sometimes I get to preach, which is a real privilege. Awesome. Um, That's great. Yeah. It's just it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing in my life. And um I love, love, love worship music and particularly hymns. So I get to consult on the music and um, it's wonderful. So that's a regular rhythm for me. In addition to my work with the church, um, I'm on the ministry team of Renovare, which is a spiritual formation ministry that's been around a long time. It was founded by Richard Foster Mm -hmm. and Dallas Willard and some friends um, over 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm, part of that ministry team and also run the board of Renavari. and then addition to that I'm a, um, a writer and speaker and uh, an author with, with just just published a book with University press which is exciting and, congratulations uh, mm-hmm. thank you thank you I'm really um, I'm thrilled about it I'm excited about the message of the book and learning um, learning the hard way that that launching a book into the world is is uh, a lot more involved than simply writing the book. And I'll be honest, I thought writing the book was hard, <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> but um but it's a message that I believe in, and so I'm excited to be getting it out there into the world. yeah, so yeah. that's what's keeping me busy these days. So tell us about your book. Where
2: did the where did the message begin for you, and how did
3: it start to take shape? Well, the the title of the book is "Mythical Me: Finding Freedom from Constant Comparison." It's so important. And well. the the message of the book um, is one that I believe God showed me and led me to after literally a lifetime of struggling with comparison, uh-huh. and I don't say that lightly. Um, I I actually didn't realize that constantly comparing myself to other people with something that i did i just had never never particularly noticed it in myself mm. um and my husband brought it to my attention <laughs> and um after learning that i was was doing it i um came to realize that it was it was causing problems in in my life but I couldn't find any help for getting away from it, and I tried. Mm. Um, But nothing I read, nothing I watched, um, helped me. And so I began studying the problem really closely. Meanwhile, um, the world changed, and social media came into the picture, and all of a sudden, more and more people are struggling with this thing that has dogged me my whole life. Um, So... It became, unfortunately, a timely message, but I'm grateful for um, the message that developed. Would you, would you like for me to tell you a little yes, bit please. about my own journey? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I was born—well, uh, let me back up. I'll tell you where the title came from first. Okay. Um, <laughs> the title is Mythical Me. which sounds a little more mysterious than it actually is, and I tell the story of the title in the first couple of pages of the book. Many years ago, I um, had been invited by three friends to go with them to a Bible study across town. You know how sometimes women will get together and they'll drive to a different church to go to something like community Bible study or Mm -hmm, Bible study fellowship or something? I was new in town, and these three women invited me to go. It was so kind of them. And it was a wonderful Bible study. And that evening I was telling my husband about it. But in addition to telling him about the Bible study, I apparently told him all about those three friends. And each thing I told him came in the form of my comparing myself to each one of them. Wow. Hmm. Oh, Belinda is so friendly. I wish I could be more like Belinda. And then a little later, Shanna is so poised and lovely. I I wish I had her carriage. And, oh man, Anna's so organized. I wish I could be like that. Literally all in one conversation. And my husband stopped me and told me that this was not a new development, that this was something that I had done over and over through the years. And at at first I, I... I argued a bit. And I said, well, I just notice, you know, I notice people's strengths. I love people. And so I I like to notice the best things about people. (laughs) And he said, well, yes, but you notice the best attributes of everyone you come in contact with. And then you compare yourself to every one of those best attributes. Wow! So that you always come up short. And he went on to say something that Stuck in my brain deeply, he said. You've created for yourself a mythical composite woman. Wow, composed of all those wonderful attributes, wow. and that's who you think you're supposed to be. Mm. And I finally realized he was right. I mean, I was I was pretty defensive <laughs> at first, sure, <laughs> and um. Uh, a little bit irritated that he had noticed something about me mm. that i had never discerned for myself but as time marriage went will on, do that I, won't it
0: I, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you know he was right and i'm mm. so grateful because he he told me he told me lovingly yeah um but he was realizing that it was causing real problems for me mm. And then what happened was that as we went on and I wasn't able to get any help, um, those constant comparisons led me to believe some things that just weren't true. They led me to believe things about myself that weren't true. And then I projected my, my own insecurities about myself. I projected those onto other people. So... For instance, I thought of myself as unlovable and mm-hmm. unacceptable, and so then I began to doubt that other people loved and accepted me
0: wow. and you
3: can imagine mm-hmm. how well that went over in relationships yeah. <laughs> um so and later, I realized that i had I had done that with God too. I had projected some of those same insecurities onto him um, wow. so all of that is a long, long story, but to cut to the chase, it landed me, thank God, in the office of a therapist. Mm, um, it we led love to therapy. some real difficulties,
0: <laughs> yeah. and I am yes. so
3: grateful that I finally got to the point that I needed professional help. Yeah. And I say that just because um, I, you know, it ha- it really did help. It made a difference, yeah. and I'm grateful and she helped me peel back the layers and what we discovered was that you know it sounds so trite to say oh well this has its roots in your childhood <laughs> it sounds like you should be lying on the psychiatrist's couch you know but it 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 just was true i i was born with a birth defect i have a very very rare disease and the most um noticeable thing about that disease is a birthmark most of the right side of my body is covered in a birthmark mm. so from the time I was tiny, I was always noticing how I was different from wow. the other from other people, so no matter where I was, I always was different i mean this my disease is really is super rare, and um in my whole life, I've only ever met one other person with this particular wow. disorder so um you know, of course, I noticed the differences. Mm-hmm. I was always different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, I was the lone redhead in a family of brunettes. And, you know, oh, wow. I, I was also a middle child and an Enneagram too. So there, there's you know, <laughs> <laughs> no telling what all went into it. But it did start in my childhood. And by the time my husband pointed out to me what I was doing, this was a deeply ingrained habit. Oh, yeah. Um that's how I got myself into that comparison trap.
2: Do you have a three yeah. wing? I'm just curious. I don't. No? I have a
3: one wing, so oh. I'm a lot of fun.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just know comparison is a struggle for... I'm a three, and it's a, uh, it's yeah. a struggle for the achiever often falling mm-hmm. into that comparison trap. Um, mm-hmm. So, okay. Oh, sorry, just... I love the enneagram so I'm it's, it's curious. It is <laughs> also
3: a real problem for the perfectionist,
2: right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah, the one. Mm. Goodness. Wow. So, where did the impetus for a book come from? How did you know you well, were supposed to make this into a book?
3: Into a book? That's a great question. Actually, um many years ago, um I had you know, started doing a little bit of writing. I'm an OG blogger. And, yeah, girl. <laughs> and um, so I did some <laughs> blogging, and and you know, I I I wasn't necessarily considering myself a writer who needed to write a book. But um, when I was a kid, my some of my teachers would say, "Oh, you'll write a book someday." But I think it was mostly because I, you know, I was good at punctuation, honestly. <laughs> 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 um, but Richard Foster gave me a really good piece of writing advice once. He said, sure, if you want to write, write. Just be sure you have something to say. Yeah, good (laughs) advice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what I realized from that was, um, while I might like writing, I, I... didn't want to go to all the trouble of um, putting together a book proposal and trying to write a book unless I felt like there was a real message there. Mm -hmm. And um, it took a long time of, of working and particularly working on this comparison problem before a message began to emerge. But then as I started thinking about whether I wanted to write a book... And that took some real wrestling for me. Mm-hmm. I, the one thing I told my husband was that I didn't want to write a book that would make a good article.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. <laughs> it, you know, mm-hmm. it, so if it could be <laughs> summed up at, you know 2,500 words or less, I really didn't want to try to stretch that out into a book. Sure, yeah. Some people do, and sometimes beautiful books are born from that, but I knew that it, that wouldn't work for, for me and my personality. Um, so I waited, and then God began revealing to me what I think was a message that He actually wanted me to share and had equipped me through a lot of struggles to understand. So, wow. um, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I would say unfortunately, but it's not unfortunate. It's, it's, it's kind of funny the way God works. Um, the the message that He gave me was not one that um, I was prepared to share when He gave it to me. It required a yeah. lot of um, a lot of study, a whole lot of study. Yeah, <laughs> it, it would have been much much easier if He had given the message to someone. Um, who had graduated from seminary already. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, you, he gave yes, it man. to me. And wow. <laughs> so, oh. so I had a lot of, I just had to study theology, which I, which I had not previously done. Of course, studying theology turned out to be a delight, so that was fine. Yeah. But it took a, let's just say it took a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: How long, did you, how long did you study and research and, and, and work on the concept before you had a, a proposal that was ready to go?
3: Well, I worked on the proposal for two years. Wow. And then I worked on actually writing the book for an additional two years. Wow. So, wow. so this is a um, labor of I, I did love enough, for sure, huh? Yeah, it's exactly. A labor <laughs> of love both by me and I, I would also say um, on the part of my – husband who just mm-hmm. had to be supportive for a long, long time. Oh. Um, because it just, you know, I just, I wasn't able, I'm one of those persons who is not able to write quickly. I tend to labor over, um, words. And when you throw in having to do the additional study before I was even equipped to write, it took a long time. Yeah. But, so the
2: front, the cover of your book is, it's a, an iPhone Mm -hmm. with like a mirrored surface on it. I know. I love that. Can
3: I just say, I love the cover. And I can say that because I'm not the cover designer. (laughs) One of the artists at InterVarsity Press, um, who just, I don't, I'm pretty sure that all he had to work with was, uh, a synopsis of my book, wow. and input from a couple members of of their staff who had read my book. Wow. That's what he had to go on. Wow! And um, from talking with other friends, talking with friends of mine who are authors, what I have seen is that a lot of times publishers will come up with two or three cover designs that they'll submit to the author, and then the author gets to to choose, you know, what he or she likes that didn't happen in my case. Mm. The artist David Facet came up with a design and they sent it to me and, and said, Here's here's what we want to do for the cover of your book <laughs> And I was thrilled. I had I had I got to give input on it early mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. and um I was very grateful to get to to give some real real solid input to it. But I felt like he captured the message
0: yeah. by
3: making the surface of that phone reflective. So tell us um, why you thought that was so
2: fitting for your book.
3: Well, obviously, our, our smartphones are not the only reasons we might struggle with comparison. Yeah. But let's face it, with the advent of social media and social media apps for mm-hmm. our phones, yeah. we now have this incredible tool for constant comparison that we always carry with us. Mm-hmm. But um, so the, the iPhone certainly, or the smartphone image certainly worked. And the fact that it has emojis that you, can, mm-hmm. that you can choose certainly worked. But the fact that the surface is reflective worked even better because if you pick up my book and you look at it, you can see yourself.
2: Yeah. But
3: what you see is a distorted image, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that is a huge part of my message, that what comparison does is um, affects the way we see. It affects the way we see ourselves, the way we see God, and the way we see other people. So anything that we see through the lens of comparison, I truly believe, is a distorted image. And the problem is that distortion is not present in the objects, the persons we're seeing, ourselves and others. It's present in the way we look,
2: the way we're
3: actually looking at things. So it's as if we're wearing glasses Mm. of the wrong prescription. So anything we look at is gonna be skewed. And um, the good thing about that is that it's possible to get glasses of the right prescription. Tell us how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> <No>? <laughs>
1: yeah. Read your book. No, I'm just going <laughs> uh, yes, right. yes. yeah.
3: all you have uh-huh. to do is uh, go to this link at Amazon now. <laughs> um, I, I, I do hope that my that my uh-huh. book really offers some some um some meaty help in that regard. But to yeah. sum it up, what I would say is that you start by learning some truth. Um, hmm. because comparison dis- distorts the way we see, the first thing we have to do is to correct the way we're looking at things. And here's what I'll say so strongly that I I want people to hear it. If we don't start with our understanding of God Mm -hmm. and learn some truths about God, the way God is and the way God relates to us, then nothing we do past that point is going to be helpful. I'm yeah. like
2: cheering, yeah, with both arms in you know, the air right I now. Just, <laughs> it, yeah, if, if,
3: if you don't, if you don't start with an understanding yes. of God's goodness and His eternal love and His just His eternal like <laughs> for Absolutely. you, God not only loves you, He really likes you. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. If you can't start from that place then I don't think you're going to be able to get your, your vision corrected. Mm-hmm. Yep. And unfortunately, some things that you might do from that point on could further entrench you in bad rather than um, ushering you into good. So starting from the place that God is so good and God loves you so much is essential. But that takes some work, or at least it did for me. I mean, before all this process, I could have told you, that God was good, and that God loved you, but I had trouble believing that for myself. (laughs) I knew that universally, God loved the world, but I kinda felt like I was so screwed up that maybe I was the exception Mm -hmm. to that. Mm -hmm. And once I began believing that God loved me, for a long time, I I felt like that was a grudging Mm. love. Like, yes, God loves me. I know God loves me, but He's so disappointed in me. He wishes I were different. Mm. And that, for the longest time, is what I wrestled with. I I felt that God was just terribly disappointed in me. Mm. I was disappointed in me. My goodness. (laughs) Why would God God not be disappointed in me? After God showed me that, Despite my imperfections, he was not one bit disappointed in me, but rather that he loved me and cared about me, it changed everything. Yeah. So I think that's the first step. I really do. And yeah. then from there, learning some truth about yourself, because if you can get your view of God adjusted, then you can start adjusting the way you look at yourself, and I think there's real freedom to be found in um, learning what the scriptures actually say about you. You know, it's funny, we get humility a little bit mixed up, I think, in our culture. So we tend to think that humility is having a low opinion of ourselves. But I really believe that humility is believing that what God says about us is true, yeah. rather mm-hmm. than believing what we think about ourselves as truth. Absolutely.
2: Seeing ourselves so, as we really are.
3: Yes. Yeah. And, and then from there, you can learn some truth about other people too. And it, it, the truth about other people can be really freeing. Yeah. See, the problem with constant comparison is that you're, you're, you're focusing on the way other people um, well, one one way or the other, you're either focusing on how other people are better than you and have things that are better than you and possess gifts that are better than yours, or else you're focusing on how other people are worse than you. Either way, no, it doesn't matter which way you go, <laughs> whether it's comparing up or comparing down. It, it it doesn't make any difference. It separates you from people.
2: Yeah, and mm-hmm.
3: this is the thing that I believe is key. The reason comparison is a thief of joy. You know, we resonate with that that old adage, right? True. But I think the reason it's a thief of joy is because by its very nature, comparison is an isolating act. Oh yeah. It puts us on one side of the scale and it puts the object of our comparison on the other side of the scale. So true. And Isolation is the opposite of the connection that's necessary for joy. Yeah. Yeah. Joy comes from connection with God and connection with people. Those mm-hmm. are the sources of joy. Those connections are the sources of joy in our life. And comparison isolates. And so it cuts us off from the sources of joy. Oh, I think that's why it's the thief of joy. Yeah. yeah.
2: You know, what's so interesting. This week, I'm trying so hard to remember where I heard this quote, but I, it stuck with me. If, if the enemy can isolate you, he can influence you. Mm-hmm. And hearing you talk about the way you used to see yourself and what you believed about how God saw you, I mean, it's just like my nature to want to shout those are lies. Those are, mm-hmm. lies they are lies from the pit of hell. The enemy yes, they are. <laughs> is there whispering and telling you lies. Mm-hmm. And so then for you to bring up isolation, if he can isolate you, he can influence you. Listeners, I'll figure out yeah. where that's from and put it in the show notes.
3: But well, yeah, wow. that's, that's wonderful. But it's true. You know, this is what, this is Satan's tool right Mm -hmm. we 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 think we actually give satan a whole lot more credit than he deserves Mm -hmm. his tool is lies his power comes in making those lies sound credible to our ears yeah Uh and when we isolate ourselves from others and when we when we isolate ourselves from God, as, as if that were actually possible, but when we don't listen to God and we isolate ourselves from other people, then the lies of the enemy of our souls sound really credible. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. reinforce what we fear about ourselves, and so we buy into them, and mm-hmm. that is, you're right, it is from the pit of hell, it's from the enemy of your soul who wants you to remain in bondage to the worst fears you have about yourself and yeah. to all the things you struggle with. So yeah.
1: that is such powerful oh. truth and as we wrap up what is a final word you would have to someone who feels stuck in that right now?
3: The answer to comparison is never going to be found in a different kind of comparison. It's going to be found in connection. Mm. Yeah. Um, sometimes what I read was oh, well, if you're, if you're comparing yourself to someone and feeling envious, well, then compare yourself to someone who has less than you, and that'll correct <laughs> your perspective. Mm, mm, wow. Not really. Not. It's still isolating. Mm, yep. The answer is in connection. And the reason for that is actually deeply theological. We were made by a community of three persons. Mm. Our God reveals himself to us as a community, a loving other-scented community, Father Son and Holy Spirit. That's whose image we're made in. We're made in connection. So real connections with people, that's the way forward. And then there are also, there, there are things you can do because comparison becomes an ingrained habit. And I devote a good bit of the book to offering some, some ways forward, some steps for replacing that habit with a new habit. But the answer is in connection. Mm, That's yes. why I love the name of your podcast, The yeah. Collected yeah. Podcast. Yeah. You've collected yourselves, you collect people. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, this is the way
2: forward. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Gosh, <laughs> thank Michelle, you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you you for your message. Thank you for your obedience Mm -hmm. and the labor that you put into getting this out. And folks, we will absolutely link to Rochella's book, Mythical Me, in the show notes so that you can go and find those practical steps to ridding your life of that nasty, lying enemy that is comparison. Rochella, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Thank you. Such a pleasure to be with you.
1: One thing I loved about Rochelle's interview um, was that she talked about how much later in life she came to this awareness of her constant comparison. Mm-hmm. You know, through her relationship with her husband was able to do some of that deep work and that process. But, you know, I think sometimes if we could just start at mm-hmm. 12, 13, 14 and really begin to instill um, some of that process in a way that some yeah. of us don't have until maybe you know we're thirty or forty or yeah. seventy. It's
2: interesting to me too that the cover of Rochelle's book has that mirrored phone on it and she tells a story of her husband being the one that revealed this deep-seated issue mm-hmm. um, and marriage can be a mirror and I I just wanted to share this is like I'm shocked that I'm gonna tell you guys this but um when Joel and I were first married, this was probably within the first year or two that we were married, I was young. I mean, I was just barely had turned 25, like on our honeymoon. So still very young and, um, and really immature, very, very immature. And I remember one day my husband with so much love and gentleness had to stop me in my spinning. And I don't even remember what it was about at the time and just say, Tia, I need to tell you that you are incredibly self-centered. And imagine, like imagine taking that, but what a gift, what a gift at that age to be able to know that, Mm -hmm. to begin working on it, to see it, to grow in it, for him to continue through the rest of our lives. I mean, I've said it so many times on the show, you guys know I'm an Enneagram three. So I like the spotlight and it And it's something that I do have to continually keep in check. Mm. And so, yeah, it is an incredible gift to have that mirror of marriage. And so I just want to speak to anyone in any relationship. Friendships can be the same way when you Mm -hmm. have those good, solid friendships where you can speak truth to one another. As embarrassing and humbling as it is for someone to kind of call you out be open, mm-hmm. be accepting of those things because they really can't be transformational.
1: And I think the key there though, too, is you said he did it in, in such a loving love. way. Yes. And it was built on a foundation
2: of trust and respect and love. Yes. And that's so important too. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate every single one of you so much and we will be back with you soon. Have a great week.
0: Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you would help spread the word. You can follow Collected on social media at Collected Workshops. The Collected Podcast is also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thecollectedpodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as $1 a month. To gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, exclusive contests, and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNelly Notes, Jess at Spreza Foundry, and Michaela at The Creative Space NC. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to prevent and support unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected podcast is recorded and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Alan.